And isn't that just so profound? Like, why are we wired that way to feel a relief when, you know, just when we can unload, like mm-hmm. you say, that psychic burden and we just get it out and unload it. It's because we're all connected. Yeah. And that thing that we're keeping to ourselves is keeping us, is a wedge between us connecting with yeah. humanity. And that can become our relating point. That could be the bridge to a yeah. deeper connection if we would be more honest. Hey, this is Kashara, and you are listening to Undiscovered Worth, the podcast. In this episode, I speak with Lisa Cole, an award-winning photographer, as we discuss her series, The Secret Keepers. We also talk about the human need to unload baggage and what brings her joy along with a lot more. I'm super excited you're here to listen. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to share with your friends as well as rate and subscribe. Enjoy. So I started in fine art photography and then um, at my final review, the, the critic that came in to talk about everything was a commercial photographer mm-hmm. and he invited me to intern with him. And so I didn't know what I was going to honestly do with this photography degree. So I went and did that and, and he was um, very much in the commercial world. So, you know, like shooting objects primarily. Um, and so that took me down this commercial path. So I've always had a foot in, I felt like, I, just felt, I always felt like I've been straddling two worlds. And, and it actually works really well together because I do the, commer- I feel like the commercial work forces me to learn new things all the time mm-hmm. instead of just kind of being comfortable doing the things the way I've always done them. Um, because you know, you have an art director, it's not your idea. Mm-hmm. Art director gives you a tear and says, I want it to feel kind of like this. and. Um, and so I'm constantly having to rethink the way I do things. Um, and some of that, you know, becomes tools that I put in my own toolbox. But it's, and, and so on the really good day on the commercial projects, um, I, I feel like maybe, you know, um, well, I, I don't have any cognitive dissonance, let me say that. <laughs> Occasionally I have cognitive dissonance when I do commercial projects, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because I feel like, you know, putting all of this time and attention into making this, you know, really expensive shoe that nobody really oh my needs gosh. to be tempted to buy. I totally understand. Do you see that? Yeah. Um, that feeling of like, a, I'm putting, I'm pouring. Into something that's not, it's the substance, is it? Yeah, you know what I mean? And so it's, what drives me on those days is just the pursuit of something beautiful, you know, making something beautiful, the camaraderie of the art director and the client and whatnot. Um, but, and, and I don't want to besmirch that because it really makes the other part of my professional life that does really make me come alive possible. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. So, so I'm not, I don't mean to disparage it, but what ends up happening, you know, in, in the commercial photography world, at least in my career, it, there, it ebbs and flows. You know, you have really dense, busy times 
where you don't even have time to um, have a, a personal thought, really. But then you then you'll you know you'll get through all those deadlines, and then you'll just take a breath, and that's when my head and my heart go to you know my true passions, um, and then I take time to explore those. Mm -hmm. And those are generally, when I think about my commercial work, I mean my, my personal work, those are the things like we were talking about earlier that are really rooted in the fundamental connectedness of humanity mm -hmm. and really all living things. Because I, I, you know, I do the same when I photograph animals, but um, I'm taking the long way around this. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. Yeah, you're doing great. Um, so... Move out of the sun, but um, so like when and, and I tend to work in series because you know I, I'll just really immerse myself in an idea and obsess on it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like I have, like when you come in, you see Miss Anita, the um, the octogenarian diner waitress there mm -hmm. giving you the cold well, not cold stare, it's a very open, receptive, but yeah. very attentive stare. Um, she's part of a series called The Secret Keepers. Do you know about that? No. So I, I can show you, we can go upstairs and I can show you more of that work if you're interested in it. What she's doing is she's intensely listening to you. And as part of that series, I also have a priest, um, a barmaid, um, a hair stylist. Mm -hmm cab driver the idea it came from the post secret do you know the post, post secret, secret? Yes! yes the post secret project yeah that's what inspired that i'm obsessed on this idea that people in just the normal course of doing their job just would subconsciously invite complete and total strangers to tell their mm -hmm. deepest darkest secrets and, and so I thought about, like, who might that be? You know, who just in the course of doing their job would, you know, come into contact with, you know, strangers in an intimate way that might just unload these secrets that they can't share with their yeah. friends and family. You know, there has to be that degree of separation, but there's just that, that profound need to unload that psychic baggage. You know what I'm saying? So this is really funny because I was talking to someone else I just interviewed. You know, I'm always listening to podcasts. I love podcasts. Super too. soul conversation. I love super <laughs> soul. <laughs> okay, I, I have to figure out which one it was because there is a, I'm going to say he was like a, a, a Buddhist monk, but he was talking about um, deep conscious listening. Oh. And you talking about, you know, the priest, the cab driver, all of these things. He was, the one thing that he specifically said, uh, basically talking about what it is, it's the, it's basically allowing someone to unload. Yeah. You don't, like you, all you do is listen. Right. You really, no really judgment. listen. Mm -hmm. There's no judgment. Mm -hmm. But he said that part of deep conscious listening is you listen and you end that the conversation ends when they're finished mm. and you walk away and you don't try to give any feedback or tell them how they can like you give them a solution yeah and when you come back you um you know talk about what your thoughts are and blah 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 but the idea of a cab driver 
um, you know, a priest hairstylist, like that's really the first part of that, just unloading, and that's a healing process. Oh my gosh, it's so huge. <laughs> I mean, think about that post-secret project. I mean, yeah. it was a similar thing. Like those, you know, people were invited to write on a postcard that secret that plagued them, that they just felt like, and then well, what's the net effect of that? You look at this collection of postcards that people have written in thinking that their secret is just so horrible. No one can ever love me if they yes. know this about me. And then you read them and you go, oh my gosh, that I've had that thought. Or, you know, like you realize you're not alone. Yeah. You're not the freak that you think you are. And I think that's the part of shame that mm. keeps people so shameful. Like if you, Shame tells you not to talk about it. Right. But that's the like Shame. that's what gives you the freedom. Yeah. Just telling it. Yes. And isn't that just so profound? Like why are we wired that way to feel a relief when you know just when we can unload, like mm-hmm. you say, that psychic burden and we just get it out and unload it. It's because we're all connected. Yeah. And that thing that we're keeping to ourselves is keeping us is a wedge between us connecting with yeah. humanity, and that can become our relating point. That could be the bridge to a yeah. deeper connection if we would be more honest. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that so I'm going to ask you about that. So who <laughs> was it? You talking to them, or like what kind of things were you talking about with them? these people that I photographed? Yeah. Well, actually, so after a, a, a friend gave me that book, The Post-Secret Project, and I, and I boarded into that, and I just got obsessed on this idea of secrets, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and that idea of unloading. And I just, I just meditated on who might be the receptors for that, you know, like what people, you know, and it was obviously sort of stereotypical things. Mm-hmm. You think about the late night diner where you, you know truckers come in there they've been on the road a long time by themselves you know they're hungry for human connections mm-hmm. the you know there's not a whole lot of people in um the diner in those off hours and the waitress is pouring coffee and next thing you know she's just listening to their heart yeah and <clears throat> and so I thought of the diner waitress and then I was just driving around you know I was just kind of and then I just would start trolling the landscape for these people <laughs> yeah and I went into I'd never eaten there but there's a Carlisle's barbecue downtown and it's the oldest still existing barbecue restaurant in Birmingham and really? I just went in there and just totally on a lark I parked my car just went in and there was Miss Anita and I just she was the first one I shot and I just said and she, of course, she has this amazing character face. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I am a photographer. That was kind of part of the deal. <laughs> I had to have an amazing character face. And so, um, and I just asked her. I just introduced myself. I said, hey, I'm just a local artist. I'm working on this project. I just wonder, in the course of doing your job, do strangers tell you secrets? And she said, oh, honey. Oh. <laughs> and so she just started. And I said, well, um, would you mind me photographing you in the posture of just you receiving my secret? You know, just, um, and so she said she was game. And so I just set up and we just, she just assumed the listening posture. And I just said, you know, just look through this lens and I'm going to tell you my secret. Oh, man. And, and so every one of them, and this was a surprise. I didn't know until after I photographed them and had them printed and 
put on the wall. The eyes of every one of them follow you. In my old studio, I had them all around the circumference, and no matter where you were, they were all looking at oh, you. Oh, that's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't do that on purpose. It's just, evidently, that must be a phenomenon. I don't know, but, um, but the eyes follow you. So it's kind of, and so I just always imagined, I wanted it to be, um, you know, just invite the viewer to just sort of imagine, you know, just even if you don't have someone in your life that Mm -hmm. will do that active listening, that you could just at least, you know, stand in front of these very attentive faces and imagine yourself pouring your heart out. Maybe that would, you know, yeah, in some small way, but, um, but again, it's just about trying to foster a connectedness, you know? I feel like what you do through photography is what I do through Undiscovered Birth. Oh, yeah. Which is like fostering community and connectedness. So, Agreed. Kindred. Yeah. I know. Back. Yeah. Have you ever followed up with any of those people? Um, no, I really have. Well, unfortunately, Miss Anita passed a few months mm-hmm. after I photographed her. Wow. And so that image has become a real treasure to her family. But, um, you know, that image went on, it won, interna- I won an award called International Photographer of the Year from the Photographer's Master's Conference out of London because of that picture, mm-hmm. Miss Anita. And I think the other part about that picture, I mean, so on some level, it really resonates yeah. that active you know and I also but I also think the reason that one in particular that's my favorite one of the series is because she's in her 80s but she's so fierce mm-hmm. and so she's defying a stereotype you know you're not looking at this old lady thinking she's frail she's feeble she's irrelevant but she's I mean if you look at her she's powerful yeah she is and so Anyway, um, that's that. But no, I haven't really. I just, I didn't know any of these people before. Um, I just sought them out. Like, I was looking for a priest because I was like, obviously, right? Yeah. And I did find the most amazing priest. Do you know Father Steinmeller? No. He started um, the Cristo Ray School. Have you heard of that? No. Uh, <laughs> see, I didn't know. I didn't know. But it's a... Um, it's called the Holy Family Crystal Ray School. But anyway, his mission is to um, essentially father and mentor kids from gangs. And honey, those, yeah. he, those kids end up going to college. They go from wow. gangs to a college degree under his mentorship and that school, which is amazing. Wow. But he told me some just bone-chilling thing, you know. Yeah, he told he, people had confessed murders to him. Wow. I mean, everything imaginable. Yeah. Did you ask him any questions? Like any follow up questions? Because the thing that pops into my head is, you have when people tell you these things, even as a waitress or hairdresser, you know, like where when do you release? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't really know the answer to that. I think it takes, that's part, I think that comes with the gift. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there are people that take it on and it becomes their burden. But I think if you really have that gift, you're able to perform that role and not carry it somehow. You know, to detach with love. Yeah. 
you know, like, yeah, because otherwise you couldn't sustain it. Mm-hmm. That's true. My next question is like starting out as a young photographer, did you feel any, I guess, what were the barriers or the struggles mm. of starting out? Cause I know a lot of times, I mean, every industry I feel like is in some way sexist, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, again, I mean, I think what makes us different is our superpower, but it, it, they're definitely, um, the biggest thing I struggled against, well, let me figure out how to say this to be fair. I feel like the fact of my femaleness opened some doors for me mm-hmm. like in terms of like wanting to go around and show my book like I'm thinking in the commercial world right now mm-hmm. but like like it, I could sort of charm my way into getting an opportunity to show my book but then so, but then I felt like the standard was higher like I had to work harder to prove myself like mm-hmm. it was like sure I'll look at your book but then I had to really wow them I had to and I, I just, I don't know, I heard, and then there was always the um, overcoming the, I mean, these are my younger days now, I'm in my 20s, you know, and most of the art directors are male, and I would hear the little gossip, um, you know, well, from other established male photographers, mm-hmm. you know, that, oh, she's just getting that work, you know, because, you know whole sexual tension mm-hmm. thing or maybe she's putting out or whatever like yeah. that and that just that would offend me so well it would make me sad but then it would make me mad and then I would turn that anger into just trying to be better at my craft yeah. do you know what I mean yeah so I think it in a perverse way may have helped me because it just made me work harder I never sat back and rested I just felt like I always had something to prove mm-hmm. um and so there's that, but I think also the fact of my femininity and my empathy makes me, um, enables me to relate to my subjects more and informs the way I photograph people and, you know, I, I didn't set out to be a portrait photographer, but it just seems like that's the way it, it sort of is happening. That I'm because of my intense interest in humanity and because of the relating to people and my natural nurturing maternal instincts. Mm-hmm. It's like when I get, you know, when people are being photographed, they're they're so vulnerable. Yeah, and you know, you can get a a high powered CEO, you know, that you think is just doesn't have a vulnerable bone in his or her body and when you they they walk into your studio and come onto your set and they are they they get um not always it doesn't always show but uh, but they get you see insecurities and vulnerabilities and so uh, my instincts are just to to love them Mm -hmm. you know like I just want to make them feel like their strongest best self and um not shrink in front of the camera but be boldly who they are and that takes and I just feel like I really do 
conjure love for them. Yeah. You know, like I'm mothering them. But I just, I sense their vulnerabilities and I, I feel like it's my job to really build them up and um, help them find their comfort in their skin. It's like, I, 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 all I can think is it's just people, fundamentally, we're all so insecure, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, we're just all so insecure. And having a camera in your face, I mean, suddenly you're, you're worried about, you know, how you look, mm-hmm. how you're going to come across. You're trying so hard to project some image that you want to be perceived as and it's disconnected from who you really are and you're worried about all these external things when I want you to forget about all that and just feel you know like your strongest best self and that it takes it it takes some um it takes some just connecting on a really deep human level yeah you know and making them feel comfortable and safe and, you know, trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's been the most interesting person? Oh, my gosh. That you photographed? Well, I mean, without question, the Dalai Lama. Yeah. I mean, just that was the most profound experience, I think, of my life. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, I got to spend three days with him, so mm-hmm. it wasn't just a moment, you know, where, he, so I got to see just the consistency and stability of his nature over time, you know, over three very long days that, you know, should have had him exhausted and cranky, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that is just a pure radiant being. Yeah. Just his persistent love and joy. And I know he's fully human. <laughs> and so I see it as the profound effect of his commitment to his daily practice of meditation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously his heart for humanity. But I just I'm in complete and total amazement of that precious man that was profound I mean he just is the most generous just incessantly generous and joyful being I've ever had proximity to um in photographing other people what has that taught you about yourself or has it taught you anything about yourself fascinating question (laughs) That's such a good question. Because I feel like in interacting with people, for me, like I never walk away from an interview the same way. I always take a little bit of the conversation or a little bit. I feel like I'm taking a little bit mm. and adding it to mm-hmm. myself in a way. Well, it's almost like that question is different for every, I mean, I feel like that happens to me too mm-hmm. when I'm photographing someone. I try, that's my goal, honestly, is to connect with every single person, you know, to just, I mean, everybody is fascinating if you just take a minute to get to know who they really are, yeah. you know. You have to be very, like, open. Uh-huh. And I open try not to prejudge anybody. Um, but, I mean, just if you ask me that in a global sense, what is photographing? 
um, people taught me. I mean, I guess it plays into this whole arc of my personal work is just that the fundamental connectedness that beneath the surface, no matter, I mean, no matter whether it's a celebrity mm-hmm. um, or a, a homeless person, like we are fundamentally beneath the exterior so alike. Yeah. We're so alike. And we're all vulnerable and we're all seeking love and validation. And validation. Mm-hmm. And so I don't get, and I think that's why I don't really get starstruck, is because even if I'm photographing a celebrity, I realize that they're just like me. Yeah. And I think that's kind of refreshing to them, too, to connect on a human level. They're, you know, I try not to worship them. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I try to really connect on a human level as equals. Um, Same with, you know, if I'm photographing a homeless person, we're equals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm really excited about this interview. <laughs> uh, um, what's been the most rewarding part of your career? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, meeting so many different and fascinating people. Um, I love that every day is different. I mean, look at us hanging out. Yeah. So good. <laughs> every day is different. Even on the most challenging day. Um, oh, my God. I get glimpses into other people's lives. I get to try on other people's lives. I come Ooh. away with so much respect. Like, what? Can you ex- Okay. Can you elaborate on trying on other people's lives? Yeah. I feel like that's really good. Okay. Well, like, I always... This profoundly affected me for some reason, but... Um, this is going back years ago, but I still draw on it. Um, I had a job uh, photographing in a foundry, which, you know, where they melt mm-hmm. molten steel and it's crazy blazing hot and it's dark and there's sand flying around for some reason. I don't really, and it's loud. <laughs> oh my God, it's so loud. And, um, and, these people that worked there, like I was just there for a day and I was like, oh my God, this is so hard. It would be so hard and stressful to work here every day. Mm-hmm. And I showed up at like eight o'clock and, you know, left at four or so. But, and I'm looking around me at these people and I'm like, these people get up every day at three o'clock in the morning. They're working like, I can't even remember, but the the shift is like four in the morning to something, and then another Mm -hmm. shift comes in, and they're in this environment that I couldn't wait to get out of every, you know, Monday through Friday, and I was just like, wow, you know, they are made of something I'm not, but then Mm -hmm. also I'm just, I don't know, I'm just profoundly grateful for the tapestry of humanity that, um, some people can actually derive satisfaction from doing that kind of work. Yeah. I feel sorry for the ones that do it because they can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. But but you could tell that there was, you know, those people took pride mm-hmm. in what they were doing. And I just, I don't know. I, I couldn't imagine it. And same with like a conquer chunk jobs. Like if you're, you know, in a factory or something and you're standing all day doing mm-hmm. a chunk, yeah. chunk. And I just... You know, I'm photographing it. It's fascinating, and I imagine what it would be like to do that every day. And I'm just, I'm profoundly grateful that some people 
do and find satisfaction in it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I hope that doesn't sound denigrating in any way. No, no. Um, but, but like that's a window to a life I would never know if I weren't a photographer. You know, like and spent a whole day mm-hmm. seeing what the drill is like for people in those kinds of jobs. Yeah. Same with a physician. Um, I mean, I just you know. I, chef just thinking about the different occupations mm-hmm. that I've sort of embedded with and photographed um, for various projects um, and so just kind of see behind the veil yeah. of what those kinds of careers are like and the kinds of people that are drawn to those careers because you know again in my bubble I wouldn't be having typically I just wouldn't have the opportunity to be elbow to elbow enough with people in those kinds of fields to like say have them over for dinner or spend actual chunk of time hanging out and getting to know them and so in those ways I'm able to and I mean you know I'm sort of I like to fancy myself a collector of humanity in a way I have a little specimen collection (laughs) you know (laughs) And so I just kind of add them to my little specimen collection. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've had this conversation. This conversation has come up with other people. But, like, you're very blessed to Mm. be able to do work that you love and enjoy. I know it every day. I know it every day. I do, Kishara. I know I know. I wish it for everybody. Yeah. I think that's the thing that I come away with the most when I'm doing these jobs in those environments I'm telling you about is just how profoundly grateful I am that I get to do. And I don't know, what percentage of the population do you think that is? I don't know. For some reason, the number 80% is coming in my head, and that might have been I read something that said, like, 80% of people are stressed in their job or don't like well, now, something like my that. Jobs are, my job is stressful some days. But I was talking to Gianni, like there's a difference between mm. being stressed, to, like literally stressed out about something and you don't feel like it has any substance and it doesn't feed into your passion versus exactly. when you're stressed out because, you know, the shoot isn't going as you like, but at the end of the day, like you could wake up the next day and yeah, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's just probably like a, a one day yeah. thing you know but some people really go to work and it's, it's like just every day they dread it yeah yeah I know. I know like feeling anxiety on saturday because they know they have to go to work on monday yes <laughs> and living for friday and yes see, i oh and see my best i'm most days i wake up and i'm just like super energized and excited about what i get to do that day i know i know and i i want to uh go back this is just the perfect time to work in a quote from my favorite humans ever Howard Thurman, Mm -hmm. where he said, find out what makes you come alive and do that because what the world needs is you fully alive. Mm -hmm. And that's a message that I got from my father. You got it. Yeah. From your family. But what about, I know I feel so profoundly sad for the people that don't get to live that. Yeah. I feel like. Someone, it was 
on Oprah's podcast. I love it too. Wes Moore. Do you know who Wes Moore is? Okay, no. you have to go back and listen okay. to that episode. How did I miss that? He it kind of came out like a few weeks ago. Oh, maybe I just missed it. But I- he wrote this book called uh, The Other Wes Moore, and he was talking about this man that's named Wes Moore that was in prison. So he's thinking about how their lives, they share the same name, but their lives were so completely different. And so he said that, um, I guess he had a conversation with him or something, and he said, you know, do you think people are part of their their environment? And he Mm -hmm. said, Wes Moore, that was in prison, said, no, I feel that people are a product of their expectations. Oh. And I literally, I paused it, and I just sat with that. Wow. Like, how many times do we count ourselves out or you are know, you talking about expectations of ourselves or the expectations imposed on us by other people i think i've i'm not sure what he meant by that but i feel like all of those yeah yeah so i feel like a lot wow. of times fear and the expectation and like letting that fear and anxiety of the idea of going out and you know because when i was a kid like my parents were really happy that i was into art but I felt societal pressure, like, you can't go be an artist. Mm. You've got to go do, like, be a doctor mm. or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like that fear and anxiety brings in having that expectation that something's going to go wrong if I stop what train I'm on right now and jump on this other one that's my big passion. Yeah. I feel like that's something a lot of people do. And then, you know, I'm not going to discount that there are also a lot of people that have kids and responsibilities yeah. so they can't really jump off that train at this point you know what I mean mm-hmm. but him saying that that we're a product of our expectations really made me think about the expectations I have for myself and the expectations I have for others and put those expectations you know yeah I get in this conversation a lot with people about um, you know the fact of being able to make an occupation out of your passion and Mm -hmm. um, make that work because I mean the people that aren't doing that you know many of them are seeking that the saddest thing to me are the ones who don't know what their passion is and I think Mm -hmm. that that's a product of just not giving themselves permission to hear that from themselves you know what I mean that they've been so told are, 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 you know, their expectations have been that that imposed on them mm-hmm. that they've that internal voice is atrophied so much to the point they can't even hear it anymore. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like it's just withered. Like it was always in them, but because it wasn't tapped into, they weren't given permission as a child. Yeah. And then you know what I mean? That they yeah. just completely. So it's just how to resuscitate that. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I wonder how would someone. I don't know. Do you feel like you know people like that? It's a, it's. Just... I know people all the time. I when I was in school, I had friends who, you know, I went into school as a neuroscience major. I saw that, and I left that's completely amazing. in the complete Girl, that's one eighty. You were smart, and you just felt. See, I, I. We kind of make smart kids feel like well, you need to go. Do yeah, that. yeah, but I like have, art is that that's a risky card to play. It is right. So, I have friends who, you know, went to school for accounting or went for these other things because they were, like, respectable and yeah. you knew you were going to have yeah. a steady paycheck. Yeah. Which, I mean, some people... And hated it. Yeah. Right. Hated it in school, like, two years yeah. into school. Right. Hated it. And so, I changed my major. I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And I asked, I've like literally had a conversation with people like, well, why don't you just change your major? And they're like, no, I've already. I've, I'm, I'm this far down the road. But you know what? I think if you, um, I bet you your neuroscience background will weave its way into your art. It and see, <laughs> it, it works together. Like yeah. when I find myself, like even in my work, I'm, I will completely nerd out on science, like the Human Genome Project. Mm. I need to show you a piece in the hallway that I did, you know, because to me, when science, like quantum theory, and um, uh, you know, when when string theory, I, you know, I can completely nerd out on these mm-hmm. things, and I love it when science reinforces or proves what I know in my knower. You know I feel like I there's mean? a connection between science and art. Oh gosh, yeah, for sure. Art, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was um, West um, I went in like, an International Women's Day. I went and they had like a panel discussion. I was on that panel, and so someone literally afterwards came up to me and she was like, "Hey, like I'm a counselor. Do you know that what you do is essentially qualitative research?" And I sat and I thought about it, and I was just like, "I was qualitative like, research." I was like, "You think?" And she's like, "Yeah, like you." You sit and you talk with people and know that you don't get specific numbers, but like you have be basically created a database yeah. about people. And I was I thought about that and she's like, Have you always been like, you know, an artist? And, and I was like, ah. I was a neuroscience major and she I like, loved psychology it. since See? I can remember. And yeah. It always mm-hmm. everything we do I feel like plays into even the things that we think are like, yeah, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Like, yeah. That experience. Mm-hmm. And see, that was my favorite courses in college were the soft sciences, the sociology, mm-hmm. the psychology. And yeah. that, of course, it all plays in. But I was also a theater major. So for me, you know, my, it took me a while to find myself on mm-hmm. my career path, too. I was a theater major, um, minored in foreign language, and... It wasn't until I was down the road a bit working, and I, and I just thought, you know, how I'm wasting my time pursuing these other things. But then I just saw they, they all weave together in what yeah. I do. I'm directing people, um, the foreign language, and just the whole cultural anthropology mm-hmm. aspect of just kind of being interested in people from, uh, you know, other places. And anyway, it, it all weaves together. It does. What brings you joy? Oh my God, this brings me immense joy. <laughs> <laughs> Talking with you, um, and again, it's because we're connecting, but mm-hmm. beneath the surface, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing you. You're seeing me. Yeah. It's cool. Um, I I love. Um, I do. I love that whole experience of. Meeting a stranger, connecting with them, you know, there's something that really accelerates the intimacy of a relationship when you're photographing a person, like I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so, because they feel so vulnerable, their guard is dropped. They let me in because they are really trusting me to, you know, people's image of themselves is a big deal to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's going to be out there in the public, that's how they're going to be judged superficially mm-hmm. and and that bears that carries a lot of weight for for most people and so they're trusting me with a big deal to them and so um, I try to uh, respect that and 
um, use that as a, um, a vehicle to really do a accelerated deep dive, you know, with them. And it's, it's amazing how, uh, you know, they come in, they feel nervous, um, vulnerable, fragile, insecure, all these things. And then we really bond over that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. I do. I always feel joy in my heart when, when that goes well. And, you know, we do the hug and <laughs> send them off. And I don't know. I just feel honestly, sure. It feels kind of like a ministry. Yeah. And I'm not really a religious person. Although mm-hmm. if I must, I, I, I would say I'm a deeply spiritual person. I feel like fundamentally photography is just a tool, but, um, when I'm in a, the right place in my head and heart, I feel like I'm really just trying to foster love and connections across humanity. Whether I'm making art for others to view or making somebody's portrait, I'm really just trying to bridge the gap, you know, the mm-hmm. artificial walls we erect around each other. Yeah. Well, I feel like part of having like a life purpose is it's not really for you, it's for to share with the world you know so I think once you have found it that is your ministry yeah it's your purpose I guess maybe that's a different way of saying your purpose yeah which is again back to Howard Thurman saying you know that's what the world needs is you fully alive he doesn't say that's what you need Mm -hmm. it's the world needs from you and that's why it's so profoundly sad and self-destructive when we don't when as a society, we don't welcome the most authentic expressions of individuality from everyone, because if they're not walking their truest life path, we're the losers. Mm-hmm. And I think you know your internal barometer of do you feel like you're in your lane? You know, are you getting? joy and satisfaction are you eager to get out of bed and go to you know to whatever your occupation is I mean that's supposed to lead us to mm-hmm. you know yeah. to what that path is for the benefit of the whole organism the collective yeah. humanity yeah this is good thank you no, thank you I really appreciate it oh, I You've been listening to Undiscovered Work, the podcast. If you enjoyed, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share with others. Also, be sure to follow Undiscovered Worth on Instagram and Facebook.